Shut out the Giants. That's good. Let's take care of the Rams. Sick them. They get the Rams. Shut them out too. And they're going to New Orleans for a Super Bowl. If that that town was Chicago was delirious. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. This next guest has passion for sports as well as life. Ladies and gentlemen, the CEO of Arena Sports Net and the former host of Snowman in the Morning, Brian Snow. Brian is his name, and this is his revelation. Snowman, welcome to Revelations, my man. Oh, man. When I got this invite, I jumped at the opportunity. It is an honor to be on the show with you, sir. Ah, Well, it's an honor that you accepted the invitation, sir. And... We always greet our first-time guests with this segment called Open the Way. So we're going to open the way right now. All right. You, sir, you are currently in Indiana, but... You are a born and bred Chicagoan. Yes, I am. So describe how Chicago was for you as a youngster. Chicago was a sports town growing up. You had the Bears in the 80s. You had the Michael Jordan era with the Bulls. You had old and new Comiskey Park. You had the Chicago Cubs, the Blackhawks. At the time, there was an indoor soccer team called the Chicago Sting. They were alive. But it's a sports town, and it's also a food town. Anybody that likes pizza and they go to Chicago, you got to have some Chicago-style deep dish pizza. That's just, that's just a given. I'm a Southsider to my heart. It's where I was raised and <clears throat> uh, got the bug for broadcasting from a fellow you and I both have studied in our travels. His name is Jim Durham. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2012, but from... The first time I heard him call a playoff game, that's the first game I ever heard with Jim Durham uh, on uh, WIND in Chicago, 1985, April of 85, they played the Milwaukee Bucks. And yes, I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, Sidney Moncrief, Junior Bridgman, Jack Sick, uh, that was before, before his time, Randy Brewer, Don Nelson was the coach, and the Bulls team Stan Albeck was the coach, and they were up and coming at the time, but they had a fellow named Michael Jordan who was making his presence felt. That same year, the Chicago Bears were running to the Super Bowl, and another favorite announcer I heard by the name of Wayne Larravee was their radio voice. So I grew up around legendary Chicago play-by-play voices. Not Not to say the national voices weren't great. I mean, how can you go wrong with Jack Buck and Vince Scully and Pat Summerall and the like? But for me, the first voice, uh, uh, yeah, you know that litany very well. 
for me, the first voice that got me started and gave me the bug was Jim Durham. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. And of course I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I've heard Jim Durham call some plays and call some legendary plays. And just in hearing the bits that I've heard, yeah, I, I, I got goosebumps. I'm like, man, people who live in Chicago, yeah, I hope they treasured that treasure because good God, he knows his basketball. I mean, anybody that was in Chicago, and you know this date in infamy if you're a Cavalier fan, May 7th, 1989. <laughs> Why are you insistent already? We haven't even gotten five minutes in the show, and you're rubbing it in Cavaliers fans' face. That's that's brutal. <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing that since 87 when they passed up a few picks and tried to bank on Doherty and Price and Elo. If that tells you anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know I know your fandom of all things uh, definitely Bulls. Yes. And, and and definitely one of the Chicago teams in baseball goes way back. Yeah. And Chicago we're going to touch, touch on we're going to touch on the Bulls a little later and we're definitely going to touch on your 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 love of broadcasting too and the voices that you've heard later too. All right. I want to touch on this subject and you already mentioned it. You said you are a South Sider. And now, even though I have not grown up in in Chicago, I know this for a fact. If I were to ask any Chicagoan their baseball allegiances, I wouldn't have to ask the team. I would have to ask which side of the city you grew up in. (laughs) And you know your answer. Now, Now, for those who are not aware, the team that plays on the north side of Chicago, those are the Cubs. The team that plays on the south side of Chicago, that is the White Sox. So, yeah. I don't have to ask how you became a White Sox fan. <laughs> I pretty much know that, and I don't even have to ask that. As a White Sox fan, and I'm, I'm curious to hear this, which ballpark to you was better, Guarantee Rate Field or Comiskey Park? I have, a dual, I have a double-sided answer. Old Comiskey Park I loved until they knocked it down in 1990. When it was called New Comiskey Park, when it opened in 91, and even when they changed it to U.S. Cellular Field, I lived and adored that. Guaranteed rate field, don't like the name, but I'm a Southsider. I still love the ballpark. <laughs> so I, 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 I like them both. So I've had so many memories in both ballparks. Right. Yeah. And... <clears throat> I just, I've read up on the history of, well, of course, the old Comiskey Park. I mean, well, Guarantee Ray Field, which was New Comiskey, which was New U.S. Cellular as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's only been erected for 27 years. So it, they have some history, but it's not as grandiose as, of course, old Comiskey. Right. And yeah, and yeah, many, many events in old Comiskey was, was there. And uh, I, I know, I know what it, to a Southsider, I know that park holds a special place in your heart. I know that. It does. It does. It does. Um, speaking of baseball, mm-hmm. uh, 83 hosted the All-Star Game. That's right. And um, Lamar Hoyt was a part of that team, was part of mm-hmm. that American League team. And to this day, it, only, it housed the, to this day, the only Grand Slam in all-star history, Fred Lynn did the honors off That's of Giants right. pitcher Atlee Hamaker. Uh, the American League wound up winning right. that game 13-3. to And, of course, Vince, Gar- Vince Scully and Joe Garagiola called that game, and all you had to do was just turn up the volume and listen. 
open yeah. the windows, let the breeze come in. <laughs> Look, I, I, on a national stage, and I've said this, and I'll, I'll definitely touch on it later, uh, baseball never sounded so good as when it came out of Ben Scully's mouth. It, it just never did. It never opinion. did. Nope, it didn't. Mm. So you mentioned one team that was endearing, and I, and, and I, I wanted to always get an account of someone who lived it. Uh, switching to football a little, mm-hmm. tell me how the uh, how Chicago was when the Bears won uh, the Super Bowl in '85. Delirious, absolutely phenomenally delirious. Especially when you shut out the Giants and the Rams in back-to-back weeks. Ben Scully used a phrase in 1993 describing a crowd in Toronto during the World Series. When he said, and I quote, this crowd has yelled itself weak. Just when I thought the crowd, I thought when I thought everyone in Chicago had yelled themselves weak, the Bears pull off another feat of strength. Shut out the Giants. That's good. Let's take care of the Rams. Sick them. They get the Rams. Shut them out, too. And they're going to New Orleans for a Super Bowl. If that, that town was, Chicago was delirious. And then the Patriots showed up for their flogging. On January 26, 1986, in the Superdome in New Orleans. And the worst thing that could happen to the Patriots did in a minute 15 seconds. They got the first points of the game. <laughs> Oops. Oh, my. Uh, when you see a defense putting all 11 guys on the line, knowing they're going to come after you, and I'm talking about Eric Hipple and Gary Danielson in the final game of the year against the Detroit Lions. Oh, good Lord. You think they didn't have nightmares and they all came true for 60 minutes? It, <sighs> I never, I, I never saw before nor since a team that it, it seemed as if, it, how can I put it? You, you know, when you see a ravenous bulldog <laughs> and they're hungry. And the slobbers coming and out. And the just coming in their mouths and they're frothing their mouth. Their fangs are bared, and the the evil smile gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're standing there looking like a pork chop to this dog, and you haven't taken a step to run for your life? Something wrong here. And on top of it, there's like a gate in between, and the gate can raise. And once the gate is raised, watch out. It's on. It's on. That is what... The 1985 Chicago Bears defense put me in the mindset of it was like I saw 11 Bulldogs hungry. And it was like the mission was to knock whoever had the ball out. Whether it was, a, it didn't matter if it was a quarterback, it was a wide receiver, it was a running back, tight end, didn't matter. Whoever nope. held the ball, they were going to either get knocked down really hard or get knocked out. And I've I, I never seen a more intimidating front <laughs> than that team. I and have it. Interchangeable parts. Yeah, that's the, that's the scary part about that team. They had interchangeable parts on the front line. The mm-hmm. broadcasters could be given one lineup that they read and they show the graphics. NFL on CBS circa 1980s. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
They give you one lineup and they start, they make one, they, they, they start the first play just so they can get through the lineups. And all of a sudden they switch, they put another line in there and the, and the quarterback's going, what the hell am I looking at now? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just amazing. It was amazing how they, how, how they, how they operated it. it and I, and I've said this, I think I may have said this on your show. If not, I, I will say it here. It took that defense and then the Giants defense the next year for me to really appreciate the defensive side of the ball in football. Yes. And if I didn't I agree. I and agree. if I didn't and if I didn't see those two defenses in back to back years, I probably would not appreciate defense in football the way I do now. Lawrence and, Taylor and Mike Singletary were two of the baddest men to ever play linebacker. Period. And they're my two favorite Period. of all time. They're my two favorite linebackers yeah. of all time. And I got a chance to see them play in the same era. It was a joy to watch them both. It really was. Play-by-play man and host of many shows, mm-hmm. <laughs> Brian Snow <laughs> on Revelations. And he just opened a way for us to what he is about. And now we're going to bridge that from what he was about during the young time to what he's doing now. And we call this segment The Bridge to Prosperity. I'm going to give you such a softball question is not even is not even funny. I'll I'll re- I'm ready for this blindfolded. Okay. <laughs> now, when this happened, you were an adult, so all I need all I need for you to do, or I should say, when it started, you were you were a teenager in high school, mm-hmm. but it extended to beyond when you were a young adult. So just simply take me through what it was like to be a Chicago Bulls fan during the Michael Jordan era. <sighs> I open with the words of David Stern. The Chicago Bulls picked Michael Jordan, University of North Carolina. Every Chicagoan, A, became a fan, and B, breathed the biggest sigh of relief for Bulls basketball. And I even heard an exchange where... Some people looked at the owners of the Bulls at the time and said, you didn't screw the pooch on this one. Now, we knew. <laughs> hey, speaking truth here, we knew. Now, I was a Jordan fan when he was at North Carolina. Anytime a freshman has the guts to not drive to the hole for a layup, but to take an 18-foot jump shot with 60,000 fans roaring, I'm talking about Michael Jordan's shot to beat Georgetown. All 19 years of age at the time. You knew he was something special. When he arrived in 1985, I mentioned that playoff series against the Milwaukee Bucks, who were the uh, defensive team, uh, def- defensive team wizard in the Eastern Conference at the time. Underrated team. Very underrated. Very underrated. Let's forward. Let's go fast forward. April 20th, 1986. Scene of the oh. crime, Boston Garden. The 63-point Nick game, yes. Michael on the drive across the lane, turnaround shot, got it! 
63 for Jordan. The game is tied with 110 left. A new NBA record has been set in the Boston Garden by an all-time great. I don't care if he's only played a year and change. He ranks right up there with the all-timers. When you have one of the legends of all time to say, I just saw God in cleats or God in sneakers. (laughs) Larry Bird. (laughs) That is all you need to know about the prowess of one Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But I'm sorry. Continue. It's, it's all right. When you have a legendary Chicago-born broadcaster by the name of Jim Durham say, I don't care if he's only played a year and change, he ranks right up there with the all-timers. 87, they lose to the Celtics in three, but Michael Jordan shows off again. 88, right. the Bulls began to get it right. They get Horace Grant in the draft. They get Scottie Pippen in the draft. And Mike says, uh-oh, I think I got some parts to work with. I totally forgot that Grant was in the same draft as Pippen. Always thought that one yep. was drafted one year and one was drafted the next. Okay. They drafted Horace Grant and then swung a trade with the Seattle Supersonics to trade the rights for Olden Polonies to the rights for a future Hall of Famer in Scotty Pippen. Pippen. Olden Polonies. I haven't heard that name in a while. You know, not many people of today do their research. I'll get into that later. And then 88 happened. We lose to the Pistons in five games in the East semifinals. 89, we get the Pistons again in the East finals. Michael Jordan hits a miraculous shot. Unfortunately, that will be the last game the Bulls will win in that series. 90, we take them to seven games on the brink and yeah. couldn't and couldn't pull out a road win. But when you're the defending champions, that's what you do. Pay attention, Los Angeles Lakers. You won't learn this while LeBron's around. Oh. Then- <laughs> I'm not even talking about LeBron. He just throws a LeBron shot. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I got 100 left in the chamber. Then 1991, they sweep the Detroit Pistons. Beat the Lakers in five. Well, let's go through the full progression. They sweep the Knicks, winning the first game by 41 points. Yeah, and with the the, the image of, I think it was game three, when when Jordan was trapped on the baseline and he was getting triple teamed. But he he found a way to to beat that triple team and he dunked over Ewing. Yeah, I remember that. That's, that's That's the enduring image of that series. The sweep of the spring of 91, and I'm echoing Jim Durham's words here, the sweep of the Knicks, beating the Sixers and Sir Charles four games to one. Oh, did I mention they swept the Detroit Pistons? To the point where they had the Pistons before game four was over, walk on on mass off off the the floor. (laughs) And then the Lakers won the first game. And all they did was anger Michael Jordan and company. Allen Iverson said this in his Hall of Fame speech, and I quote, you want to be fast like Isaiah, pass the ball like Magic, be dominant like Shaq, but man, I wanted to be like Mike, close quote. How many times has that been echoed by so many players of today and end of yesteryear who lived and breathe during the Jordan era? It just goes to show the enduring legacy of the the man. The fact that 
the last championship existed for the for that Bulls era existed 21 years ago, and yeah. yet you still have comparisons to him. <laughs> Two decades after the last championship he won, you still have comparisons. No, there's only one number 23. He wore red and he wore red and black. He was bald for the second half of his career. Yep, and he has a line that now people wear still wears the sneakers, and it's an honor to have him grace their shoes and represent the product. Here and we are, number one draft pick this year. Zion Williamson is a rep of the Air Jordan brand. That just goes to show you the reach of this man and the brilliance of this man extending beyond his playing years. You know, it just makes me already know and feel that a mass fortune doing what he loves is what he got is what I can get. And I'm pushing 50. I know for a fact I can do it and I'm going to do it. You know, people say I'm crazy. You should be going into your twilight. Oh yeah. You tell that to my competitive side. Okay. Good. I'm glad people are saying you're crazy. Because they're gonna they're gonna be eating their words when they see that your quote craziness close quote mm-hmm. is gonna result in the fact that your hardware paid off. Oh yeah, oh yeah. My my wife encourages me every day, just as I encourage her. I always say on my show, dream big, do bigger. And I always always say, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Or mine are or mine are about as tall as Akeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Michael Jordan, and other twin towers put in that era. I'm I'm gonna stare them all down, and we're gonna put them all together. Mm. That's why I love doing this. Yeah, and and speaking of why you love doing this, uh, one of the conversations we've had off air, and of course some on air too, and actually we've had in this conversation here as well, is you have a healthy love of play by play voices. So when did you discover that you loved hearing play-by-play personalities and guys? And then on top of that, outside of anybody in Chicago, in the Chicago area, because you've named them already, which ones appeal to you now in in play-by-play? Jim Durham gave me the bug a long time ago when I heard him call a game in April of 85. And I mentioned uh, Wayne Larravee. I got hold to a clip from Wayne Larravee in that incredible 85 Bears season that I repeat to myself all the time. Many people have seen this. Uh, Bears are playing the Vikings game uh, week three of the season, 1985. Sorry, the lone setback. No, the lone setback. in motion on the left side. Vikings coming in a blitz. McMahon back to throw. Throws it deep down the middle. The way going to touch it. Makes it over the shoulder. Catch the third to the 25 to the 20. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Hearing things like that got me going and got me started. Um, today, and one of my favorite voices of all time, I will just use his voice. You'll recognize the call and the voice. It goes like this. And the pitch. Swinging. Lining it to left. It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! Chris Burke! Holy Toledo! What a way to finish! Oh my. I haven't heard that. 
I haven't heard that call in a minute. And I haven't heard that voice in a minute. Oh, my. Milo Hamilton. Oh, what a voice. Milo Hamilton. Oh, man. And that's, a, that's, one, that's one we can five. That's one we share. Yeah, because he, he he called mini games in Chicago for decades. Uh huh. Called mini games in Houston for a couple of decades too, and mm-hmm. I loved it when he came because I heard him in Chicago when he was calling Cubs games. I was like, man, I like that guy. I love I love how he calls yeah. games. And then when I heard that he was coming down to to Houston to call Astros games, I got a giddy and got excited. I bet and you did, and I don't blame you. Yeah, it was a treat. It was a Some of the legendary voices I loved hearing. I mentioned a couple: Jack Buck, Vin Scully, Vin Scully calling baseball. That's all I need to know. That's all you. Oh, that's my. all you need to know. I, um, here's here's how here's how much I respect Vin Scully, and and I heard him and Jack Buck call the same the the, the same uh, the same play game one, 1988 World Series, the Kirk Gibson homer off of uh, Dennis <laughs> Eckersley. <laughs> oh but yeah, we're epic. Both calls were epic. You know, mm-hmm. Jack Buck said, I, I don't believe what I just saw. Mm-hmm. But I just loved how Vince Scully called his version of it. And he says, long, high drive, deep in the right field. She is gone. And he stopped right and there. And you didn't hear thousand anything. People. You didn't yeah. hear anything for 90 but, seconds. Yes. You did not, yeah, exactly. You did not hear anything for 90 seconds except Dodger Stadium erupting in sheer pandemonium and delirium. And, and then you hear him, that. Then you hear Vince Scully say, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And he and then he decides to put the bow on top of the package so mm-hmm. eloquently. <laughs> I did not appreciate it back then as well as I do now, but yeah. I knew then when I heard it, I was like, that was something special, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. I now know because it was as if he knew when to describe the action and he knew when to bring it in and let you see the action for yourself. And it made me appreciate him more because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Vin Scully. Awesome. And yeah, Jack Buck. My respect is through the roof with that guy. Man. Through the roof. Through the roof. Loved, loved hearing Jack Buck. Loved hearing him. Um, one of, uh, I know a lot of Cardinal fans, and they say their favorite call, of course, was Go Crazy, Ozzie Smith's walk-off home run, Game 5 National League Championship Series in 85. But the game after that produced one of my favorite calls from Jack Buck. Um, Jack Clark facing Tom Neatonfuer. <laughs> <laughs> and again, where both sides, Vince Scully on NBC, Jack Buck on KMOX, Vince Scully's call went, and he hits it to deep left field, and that ball is gone. And Lasorda got the answer to his rhetorical question. Something about, should I walk this guy and pitch to that so-and-so? Well, he didn't walk him. <laughs> Oh, I love! Oh, I love the I love the slight Dodger homerism, even though it was on national TV. Coming out and like- that was beautiful. <laughs> the, the Jack Clark homer 
that, that happened three years prior. I appreciated Jack Buck's call just slightly better than the Vince Cully one. And Jack Buck's call went like this. Lark, a chance to redeem himself after 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 striking out on the seventh. The Dodger right-hander is set, and here's his pitch to Jack Clark. Swing and a long one in the left field. Adios, goodbye. Maybe that's a winner. A three-run homer by Clark, and the Cardinals lead by the score of 7-5, to five, and they may go to the World Series on that one, folks. What I really appreciated about uh... – what, what I appreciate about Vince Scully, he just had this ele- this quiet elegance about him. Mm-hmm. I always loved that about him. With with Jack Buck, I always pictured if <laughs> if if an everyday Joe got a chance to get in front of a mic and know how to be a presence on the mic and not make his personality outshine the product that he's calling, mm-hmm. it would sound like Jack Buck. Yep. <laughs> Wow, and, and it's amazing how how uh, how the right announcers can pull you in, mm-hmm. and, 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 and 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 it makes you feel the passion that they have, and it gives you a passion yourself. Mm-hmm. And here I am; I'm sitting across from a guy who now he does what they did. Yep. So how so how did you yourself become a play by play announcer? This is the great. This is one of the greatest stories. In 1995, I had just moved back to Chicago from North Carolina, and I was at Chicago State University, and my friend Kevin was going to film the Chicago State game. They were playing Northern Illinois, and I said, Kevin, can you attach a a microphone to that camera? He said, yeah, what do you have in mind? I said, get a camera, get a mic stand, and a microphone. And let's try an experiment. So we go over to the gym, and Craig Hodges, you should remember that name, was the coach of Chicago State at that time. I most certainly do. And he said, let him have at it. Let's see what happens. We went up to the track level. He set up the camera. I was uh, in a shirt and tie. I was in a dress outfit and with no notes. We did like a three-minute pregame. Someone ran the lineups up to me. And I did my best impression of Jim Durham, and there you are. That was my first game. Wow. So you did that with no prep? Now, that's impressive. I'll that never is impressive. like that again. <laughs> I, I, know, I, I, I know what you mean. Even though I've never done a play-by-play, I know what you mean. I'll never do it like that. I did it for my first four years without prep, and then um, uh, one of one of my buddies who was – in the business at the time said, you need to prepare a lot more. It's great that you know how to call the game, but there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. Boy, was he ever right. Yeah. Yeah, there is. There is. And and it's 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 amazing how the preparation fuels your call even more. Absolutely. Uh, last year I was covering uh, Michigan City High School for football, and my wife got to know my routine. And she would ask me throughout the week. She would throw questions at me. Did you talk to the other coach yet? Did you get the other lineup? Did you get your boards done? How much time do you need to do your boards? Are your commercials in place? Did you record everything you need? She got to know my routine quite well. She would throw little things at me and it would throw me off for a second. And I had to think about it. Then I would have to look it up. 
and see what pieces are missing. Speaking to play-by-play and host and announcer Brian Snow. This is Revelations, uh, and I'm having a good time because I'm actually talking to a friend, and, and it's almost as if we're having a conversation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you've opened the way because I know I know how Chicago is so huge to to you in terms of uh, in terms of sports, and how announcing is such a passion for you. And you've explained that. So let's tie that in to find out what is behind the purpose. I want to ask first, you own your own network. So what is Arena Sportsnet and how did that become something that is now a passion of yours? It's pretty simple. After hearing Jim Durham and others call games, uh, a former friend came to me in 1996 after we got our in at Chicago State and said, let's form a network and see what we can do with it. Well, that run came all the way up until 2013. We were the Interscholastic Sports Network all the way up until April 2013. And then in Chicago at a marketing event, I handed out a card and the person looked at the card and said, what does this stand for? We were ISNet at the time, shortening it. And I sat back and thought about it for the remainder of the day. And I said, she's right. The person who looked at my card and basically threw it away said, no one will know what this is. You have to have a name where someone will identify what you do with sports. That was a shot in the heart, but it woke me up at the same time. It's like, wow, I really need to think about this. And lo and behold, come April, that was, uh, that was 2011 when I went to that marketing event all the way through 2012, still thinking about it. Finally, April 1st, 2013, I called a couple of people and I said, I am seriously considering a name change because people have to identify that we're about sports. And um, a friend of mine at the time said, can you use something with the word arena in it? And that's when it rang a bell. Formed the arena, uh, changed names to the Arena Sports Network, and shortened it to Arena Sportsnet. Three years later, and yeah, it comes on the heels of uh, starting over again because I let some people in that shouldn't have been in. Mm. But as of July first this year, starting over as Arena Sportsnet, clearing the wave and. Our, log- our, our slogan is where every fan has a voice and every team has a fan. So that's how Arena Sportsnet came to be. Mm. Now, you are a happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, your passions are 
Well, I won't. I won't ever say that sports is simple, but your passions are <laughs> your passions are there. <laughs> There's no questions about that. <laughs> but you know, just like just like I, you have lived you have lived life and you have had your scars. So, yeah, what has been the biggest? If you had to label one, what has been the biggest obstacle you face in your life? I'll give you three. Even better. Um, losing my dad to prostate cancer in 2007. Um, losing my daughter twice, once to a forced adoption and second time to death. And she passed away in 2015. And the third obstacle, actually, I'll give you four. Third obstacle, I went through a very abusive relationship. The final obstacle was having someone basically ruin my reputation with a lie. Mm. Yeah, slander, slander sucks. No question about that. Yeah, and I and I figured that you were going to mention two of those, if you can. Um, how important uh, is your daughter to you? Because I know on Earth she's dead, but I know to you. She's still alive in spirit. That little girl's spirit fuels me every moment of every day. Um, There's not a moment that goes by where um, I would wonder sometimes to myself and sometimes aloud to my wife what uh, my little girl would look like. What would she be doing and how fast she would try to climb on my back for a piggyback ride? Just little Mm. things like that. You know, wondering how she would be growing up and uh, how much it would affect me as a dad. And I will honestly tell you, there are some days that are a lot tougher than others. Yeah. I always say that uh, when it comes to living after someone passes, it is something that I really can't say you get over, and it's not something that you can get past. It's just something you have to get through. Yep, and it's even more difficult when you're a parent. Right, and even more difficult when you look at a life that is supposed to outlive you, and they don't, for whatever reason. Yeah. I, can, I, I can't even imagine how much of a pain that is, but it, it makes me respect even more that you, you get up every morning and you still, with a, with a smile on your face and a and a song in your heart, you still go at it. Two of those events led me into something that else that I battle on a daily basis, and that's depression. And I figure you're going to say that, too. And we'll touch on that in a minute, too. Because the other person that means so much to you, and although I can't relate as much with the loss of your daughter, and my condolences as always, and that will be perpetual and forever. Mm-hmm. But... Your father. And I can relate to this because I am extremely close to my father. And when I heard how you are with yours, I was like, oh, man, I I found a kindred spirit who had the same type of connection with his father than I that I have with mine. How close were you to your father and how much does his presence? Same as your same as your daughter. I know he's in body dead, but in spirit, he is so alive to you. You could probably see him even as I speak about him. How much does he mean to you? In four words, dad was my hero. He gave me every piece of embodiment that I have today. 
And you said something that's very true that he taught me. Get through. Find a way to get through. I lost him in uh, June of 2007. That was the hardest day of my life. June 12th of 07. Yeah. But that final day, we shared something that we've often shared, and that's a basketball game. Oh, man. Oh, man. And I tell very few people this story, but I consider you a brother. Here it is. The day I drove in from Gary, Indiana, to see him, I sat him up a couple times. He asked for some crushed ice. And I can see the skin falling off of him. I could see the skin becoming rubbery because of so much weight he had lost. We were watching a replay of NBA World Championship game, as a matter of fact. And I was so tired from the day before I went into my old room I sat down and I wound up falling asleep for about 90 minutes. And I woke up, went back to check on him, and he was gone. Mm. Everything shut down after that. And I lost it. I absolutely lost it. Mom had come home and she comes running upstairs. And we call the, uh, call 911, and they confirm it at 1.50 Central Time. My dad, William, was gone. I didn't sleep for a week. I was walking, I was riding around in a cloud. One of the toughest, toughest things I've had to deal with because I've had so many fun times with Pops. Yeah. Even when I went through a down period and I didn't know where else to turn, I turned to him. I'm just glad I had a chance to repair our relationship before he passed. And I knew I had to because I messed up a lot of times over. I messed up. When I moved back home in 2001, he was one of the first people to greet me. And uh, every broadcast adventure I shared with him till the day he passed away, every game didn't matter. Didn't matter what game or team we were talking about. I just loved talking to him about everything. But I remember this. A few days before he passed, I had a baseball game to announce with um, Whitney Young and St. Rita in Chicago. And uh, I came in to see him. I drove in to see him. Came in the house. And he was a shell of himself. He was an absolute shell of himself. Where I lost it. I burst into tears. And I will never forget what he told me that day. He put his arm around me and he hugged me and he said, you stay busy. 
I'll be all right. Stays with me to this day. Man, I'm glad that you got a taste. I'm glad you had a chance to taste it for it. <laughs> well into your adulthood before yes. this unfortunate passing. I'm glad you did. I still am sorry that you don't get the chance to experience it now. But I totally know what you mean because my father's my hero too. And I get that. It's it's so it's a soul connection. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. All right. So, so we talked about your daughter, we talked about your father, and you mentioned depression, and that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you too. Uh, when you have fits of depression, how much does that take out of you? A lot. Yeah. It's like getting hit several times over in different places. And you try to get up, and just as soon as you get up, it hits you again. And sometimes you just look and go, what do I have to do to stay up? It's a fight and a half. It's a fight and a half. And sometimes you don't know if you're going to get back up. And that's why when someone says that they are suffering from it, I don't ever take that lightly. And this is what people who don't suffer from depression don't understand. It's not that easy. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I have a few friends who do suffer from it. And and they say similar to you. It's, it's like, man, I could be great at certain times. And then there's other times, man, it's like I'm getting hit with a ton of bricks. And I've heard you that often. You feel like you're on your stomach. Then you flip over on your back. and like, okay, I'm going to get up from here. And you try laying on your side. That doesn't work. And you're just going, how the f- am I going to get up? Yeah. And, and, that's the, and, and I know that has to be frustrating. Especially when you have a lot of purpose. <laughs> There's a lot of things about you <laughs> that screams, I'm going to do great things. And then you have those voices in your head that says, you're not worth it. You're oh, not strong my. enough. Yeah. You're not talented enough. You don't you don't have the men, you don't have the mental fortitude to do it. You don't have the intestinal fortitude to do it. When your own mother calls you a wannabe and basically oh, puts down your career of at the time 18 years, that's not a slap in the face. That's a punch in the gut. Yeah. They, uh, that that's yeah, that's fuel to what could be your demise if you believe it. Yeah. And, 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 and it takes all of what you have to surround yourself with the energy that is right and ripe for you to blossom. Mm-hmm. Because when you're, when you're susceptible to that, this is what I have learned about people who do suffer from depression. When you do suffer from it and you're around people who are naysaying you to pieces. Yeah. Man, does that bring you down? And it brings you down further than, than even you could bring yourself down. Mm-hmm. It's like you're holding on to a cliff, you let go, then you grab onto another part of it and try to climb back up, and here they go sending you down again. Yeah. yeah. And and then the 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 lack of lack of compassion that comes with the fact that you're suffering from something like that. That mm-hmm. is what 
really, really hurts. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So all of this, and you've, you've even suffered from homelessness as well. Yes, and I have. You, yeah, and I know it's a huge cause for you because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you suffer from death, you suffer from depression, and you have dealt with homelessness. Now, I could I could reel off all these things that don't make you smile. But what brings a smile to your face, my man? What brings a smile to my face is the one person that totally believes in me and absolutely adores me as I adore her. And that's my beautiful wife, Jody. Mm, man. I call me Jody. I gave her the nickname of my Phoenix because wow. everything that, well, she has a Phoenix tattooed on the left side of her back, but I call her that because you want to talk about rising from ashes? Everything that has been thrown at her, like a fastball from Nolan Ryan, a curveball from Bobby Jenks, or a 100-mile-per-hour heater from Billy Wagner, she's gotten up. (laughs) She's, dude, she's gotten up. My beautiful wife, for the past year, has been the reason I continue to fight. Isn't it beautiful to see somebody who who exhibits perseverance? You see that example, and then they believe in you when when you see them rise up. It, it's it's beautiful. When we both have points when when we both have points when we're down, and I know at points of time she's feeling down. It's like I have to cheer her up somehow. I got to bring that smile back. Mm-hmm. Her smile is just one of the things about her that gets me through every day. Yeah, and and I I, I have to personally say on a, on a personal note, when you talked to me about this person, I said, man, and and I'm and and you know I'm on record in, in saying this person <laughs> to you. I said, and you said to me, man, I'm I you know I I I went up and down the roads with her. I, I I feel myself, mostly myself when I'm with her. And you said that, man, I, I want to have her back. And I said, my friend, believe it. You're going to get her back. Didn't I say that to you? You did. And look at you now. And that was, let me see. That was July of last year. Here we are yep. one year and one month later. And now you're married to her. When when she and I started talking about a date to get married, the first day I thought of was my dad's birthday, June 25th. Ah, okay, okay. And I thought it would be the perfect way to tie everything and everyone together. I couldn't think of a better day for my dad in spirit to to meet my wife. I couldn't think of a better date.
Arena Sports Net, play-by-play announcer and host of many shows. Mr. Brian Snow is with me on Revelations, and we're going to bring this home in the segment that I call Bring to Light. Your moniker, Snowman. Now, I, I, you know, I could say, oh, he looked at his last name and he decided to put man on it. And he was like, okay, that's a clever nickname. But I get the feeling that there's more to it. So if there was someone else who gave you that nickname, who did? If not, why did you give yourself the nickname, Snowman, and how did it originate? You know what? Someone gave me that nickname a long time ago. And... For a while, I took it as an insult, but then I started thinking about it and tying it into my last name. But in 2012, when I was doing basketball in Chicago and the Marist Miracles happened, and both of those calls went viral, Mm -hmm. I started hearing it from the kids. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The kids started calling me that. That set it off. When I hear it from the people that I drive to do my best for when I'm behind the microphone, nothing else needs to be said. Yeah, you're right. So that nickname ties into the show that I have appeared on that right now is in its reboot stage. Mm-hmm. But how was Snowman in the Morning born? Would you believe off of a dare? One of my friends in Chicago who had me frequent his show as a guest to talk Chicago sports said, why don't you do a sports show on your own? I said, no, I'm not, I'm not good enough to do that. And he said, as a matter of fact, I dare you to come up with a show Mm. that that lit the fire. (laughs) Oh man. And I was trying to come up with a name and I heard an old, you're going to love this. I heard an old episode of a show I think you remember called Mike and Mike in the Morning. Yes, I have heard that show. And I sat up the day before I launched my show, September 30th, 2013. I listened to them. I went for a walk. I fell asleep. I came back home, fell asleep. And then I sat back up and said, that's it. Snowman in the Morning. There you go. That's it. I spoke it. Not on the first segment of my show, but the second segment, and away it went. I would say that's simple, but I know, well, (laughs) since I do a sports show on my own, it isn't that simple. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But you also know this. Mm -hmm. When you speak it to someone special around you, and they smile, and they believe it, that's it. Off to the races oh, yeah. you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I've always loved about you is that you are unafraid to speak against the grain as to what it is in the world of sports. And I love that. I love that. And I you've love- seen the pushback I get from some of the takes I have. And I don't care. I really don't care. In, in, in fact, the, how I am, it... it uh, <laughs> When I when I get pushback on things like that, I smile because I'm like I must I'm doing my job. 
I'm doing my job because I'm not being a yes man to somebody. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm speaking it as it is. And I'm looking at you and you speak it as it is. And I love it. I, I love Every the fact morning, that <laughs> when I get up to do the show, my wife will tell me, be brilliant, my love. Be brilliant. Mm. What motivation? What motivation? If, if that don't light your fire, nothing does. Mm. Wow. What motivation? I mean, look, you already know I could continue this conversation forever. I mean, <laughs> and, and I'll say this right now. This is just your first time on this show of many because you'll be back. <laughs> you will definitely be back. That is so appreciated, my friend. So yeah. appreciated. And, and so are you, my, my brother. You are totally appreciated. So since this portion of the show is called Plug Tuning, shout out to De La Soul. It's <laughs> a good game I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites of all time. Uh, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you. They can find me on Twitter at Arena Sportsnet. And uh, they can find me on Instagram, same ID. And uh, that's where you can find me for now until the reboot's complete. Uh, I have been on this man's show so many times I can't even count. And I enjoy every single time I'm on the show. I enjoy the fact that this guy invites me on the show every time. Uh, it's, it's now formally known as Snowman in the Morning, but it's going to be renamed something else. The CEO of Arena Sports Net and play-by-play announcer, Brian Snow. It's your first of many, my friend, and I thank you for this time. I love you, my brother. Thanks for having me on. go through those bad times it is hard to latch on to something that really means that you're living the word says count it all joy my brothers and sisters when you meet trials of various kinds we all endure struggle we all endure trials and we all endure tribulation the key to it all is perseverance that is the difference. Many thanks to Brian for his riveting testimony and story. And you can catch all of his information in the show notes. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I am Cole Johnson and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A, dot I-O, and all podcast directories. Music by Lakey, Inspire.